welcome to a special edition of PSHE Talks. Something a bit different for you this time round. Uh, we're delighted to introduce one of our eminent subject specialists, Nick Boddington, with a reflective piece on choosing literature as a route into learning in PSHE education. So Nick was one of the early pioneers in the subject, following a career teaching art and mathematics in both primary and secondary phases. Uh, he was previously the lead senior advisor for health and wellbeing for Essex Local Authority and has been with the PSHE Association since its inception. Uh, many of you have already had the privilege of listening to Nick at our annual conferences over the years, so do hope you enjoy this edition of our podcast. P-S-H-E the use of story is a really powerful route into exploring issues in PSHEE. And we're fortunate to have some of the greatest children's literature readily available to us. However, it's worth considering how best to choose stories from the range that's available. We have a wealth of books to choose from that are first and foremost rich, engaging stories. You know them from the looks on our children's faces as we read them together. They're the ones that when we're finished, the children say, please can we read it again? Stories are like a journey that we as teachers and our pupils can go on together, separate worlds we can step into, even if just for a few moments to take us outside the classroom. Stories can be powerful, some very powerful, and it's important to think about how we use them safely. If we invite children and young people to respond to a story, we have to accept their responses can be unpredictable. Whenever we use a story as a route into learning, we need all the forethought and care we take with any PSHE to make sure our children and young people are safe. So how to choose? Well, it might seem odd, but it's worth thinking carefully before choosing stories that explicitly focus on a PSHE topic. Be careful of stories that are superficially wrapped around an obvious health message, because children can see this coming a mile away. What children hear is, you don't really care about sharing a great story with us. You want us to do something and you're trying to sneak it in disguised as a story. Children aren't stupid. We need to be careful about stories that are the modern equivalent of the 19th century edifying tales intended to impart to children a clear moral message. For example, Hilaire Belloc's Jim. You know, or at least you ought to know, for I have often told you so, that children never are allowed to leave their nurses in a crowd. And Jim, who fails to hold nurse's hand at the zoo, is naturally eaten, very slowly and bit by bit by a lion. His mother, as she dried her eyes, said, it gives me no surprise he would not do as he was told. His father, who was self-controlled, bade all the children around attend to James and miserable end and always keep a hold of nurse for fear of finding something worse. Great stories draw us in. We want to know what's going on. We relate to the characters. We want to spend time with them. We care, if only for a few minutes, what happens to them. Stories needn't be long. Hemingway, in response to a challenge, wrote a story in six words. For sale. Baby shoes never warm. An authoring six-word stories is now a popular writing activity. Have a look online for hundreds of examples. So our first rule for choosing is simple. Would my class really relate to and engage with this as a story? It's this engagement that enables us to use the story as a vehicle to take us into the learning. 
Some really engaging books do focus on a specific topic, and a good example is The Huge Bag of Worries by Virginia Ironside and Frank Rogers, my own personal go-to book for exploring worry. Although the topic is obvious, it's contained within a beautifully illustrated story that really captures that overpowering emotional weight of worry, and most importantly offers a strategy to manage it. When we read a story, we need to ask ourselves, what learning journey can I take my children on as we read this together? What learning outcomes could this help us achieve? We need to see the potential of what's there, and it may be very different to the story's original intention. Take Sixth Dinner Sid by Inga Moore. On the face of it, it's a story about a cat that lives with six families, all without them knowing about the others Sid lives with. Hence, Sid has six names six personalities and eats six dinners a day. All is fine until Sid gets ill and is taken to the vet six times and his owners get six lots of medicine to give him. Fortunately the vet spots it. It's the same cat and Sid survives to tell the tale. But Sid wants his six dinners so he moves into a different street where he lives with six new families. But unlike the first street where no one spoke to one another, in this street, everyone talks to one another, so Sid's never at risk of an overdose again. This book offers us route into the importance of being safe with medicines, the danger of overdose, and the value of people talking together to protect one another. On one level, it's about a cat who eats six dinners a day. On another, it's about safety with substances and the value of community. So we might ask, so of the two roads Sid lived on, which is more like our classroom? How can we be more like the second road and help us all stay safe? And suddenly we're exploring how we can look after one another. There's even an opening to explore with the class if we behave differently when we're with different people. And now we're into exploring identity. It's easy to think that a picture book is too young for older students, but this is a mistake. Take Not Now Bernard by David McKee, a short story about a child being ignored by his parents. Bernard meets a monster in the garden. He tells his parents, who ignore him, so naturally the monster eats him. The monster then goes into Bernard's house and is put to bed by Bernard's mum, who never notices her son has been replaced by a now very confused monster. Of course, monsters can take many forms, both inside and outside of our heads and at different times in our lives. And Bernard's experience of meeting and being threatened by a monster and being ignored is ageless. With a little humour and the right setup, this can be used with an audience of any age. I personally used it at a parent's evening. We might set it up with something like, obviously this book is for children younger than you, but just imagine I have a friend who works with younger children and she's asked me, what do you think are the key messages from this book that she could explore with her children? Do you think those messages are still relevant no matter how old we are? In what way? It's important to choose a story where a character faces a challenge or situation that's relevant to the children or young people who solves it, well, perhaps Birder may be an exception, using strategies our children could use and in some way emerges from the story changed. A story about a character, no matter how engaging, who uses magic to solve a problem, doesn't help a young person overcome a similar problem in their own lives. Whereas although we may not have a tale, Errol, the sport-loving rat and hero of Three Cheers for Errol by Babette Cole, shows us how determination and a bit of imagination can overcome setbacks in doing something we love. 
One of the great moments when reading a story to children is to pause at a critical moment and ask, what do you think will happen next? Let's turn over and find out if you're right. There's huge power in being able to correctly guess what happens. It's almost magical. What we're exploring is the skill of prediction and prediction is fundamental to recognizing and managing risk. At its heart, risk is about using our experience, knowledge and imagination to ask and answer as best we can, what if? And Story lets us practice assessing and exploring strategies for managing risky situations in the safety of our classroom. We can put ourselves into the story, perhaps as invisible observers, and explore together what are feelings we as witnesses have as the story unfolds. We might explore and perhaps name all the different feelings characters are having, some pushing and some pulling, maybe some conflicting, and how these could influence choices and what happens next. Then turn the page and see if we're right. We could be imaginary counsellors offering advice to different characters and perhaps explore how easy or hard it would be to take our advice. We could explore our responsibilities and strategies if we were to witness the same things happening in real life. Once we finish using a story for our teaching, it's really important to then read the whole story once more to the children. We don't have the right to ruin a story for children. We have to remember an author offered us this story and we have a responsibility to put it back together again and reconnect children with the joy of the story and not leave it broken or in pieces. Many argue, I think quite rightly, there are really no children's stories, there are just stories. There's no age when great picture books cease to be engaging or when we're too, too old to have a story read to and shared with us. The power of a picture book like The Island by R.M. Greeder is ageless. So many children's books are. Some like The Whale's Song by Diane Sheldon and Gary Blythe are both powerful stories and visual works of art. Or The Magic Bicycle by Burley Doherty and Christian Birmingham that shows the power of perseverance, disappointment, and finally that magical aha feeling when you suddenly overcome a problem, be it riding a bike or solving a maths problem, all captured through emotions in the face of a child. Then there's Amazing Grace by Mary Hoffman and Caroline Binch that tells the story of a girl who wants to play Peter Pan in her school. But that's really about challenging and overcoming the assumptions and limitations other people try to place on us, either because of our gender or race. But there's a different power in stories that are purely text. These allow children and young people to construct their own internal images that are relevant to them. And there are times when this is more appropriate. There's an old saying, I prefer the book to the film. The pictures are better. It's possible to use a small section of a novel to really focus in on an issue. However, it's important to first share with the class an overview to set the scene of how the characters have reached this moment. For a wonderful illustration, read, read The Eggman. It's a short story in the collection Badger on the Barge by Jenny Halker. It's a story of dares and double dares, of pushing and pulling emotions that lead to an encounter between two girls and a confused old man. And imagine where you could take the class if you paused after the line, will you tell your mum and dad? So when it's safe to take a trip to a library or a bookshop, Choose some storybooks from the children's section. Don't worry about the recommended age. Grab a cushion and find a place on the carpet. The chairs will probably be too small. And imagine your class listening to you read. What do their faces look like? What learning journey are you going on together? 
What are you saying to one another along the way? And what learning objectives could this journey together help you meet? That was Storytime with Nick Boddington. Hope you enjoyed this slightly different format and uh, do keep an eye out for our next instalment of Storytime, where Nick will be looking at deconstructing story and the use of case studies and timelines in PSHE education. Bye for now. Thank you.